station, your radio station, our radio station, 91.3 FM and 95.8 FM stereo. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and welcome to the Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM. Of course, uh, it is just after 12 today on this beautiful Thursday afternoon. My name is Wida Peterson and on technical duty we've got Mr. Omar Maris and it is time for the MJC Hour. Now we've been running the MJC Hour as of the month of Ramadan and trying to uh, cover various topics, answer numerous questions on this program. So, um, Inshallah, if you do want to participate and be a part of today's show, you can do that on our WhatsApp line and on the SMS line. The numbers are 47913, which is the uh, SMS number. And if you do want to send us a WhatsApp, that number is the new number, 082-9913913. Now, today we are once again speaking about gender-based violence. It is the 16 days of activism. Our guest online is Molana Muhammad Ka. Assalamu alaikum, Molana. I hope that Marina is doing well, inshallah. Alhamdulillah, all good, thank you. Alhamdulillah. Marina, today we speak about the 16 days of uh, activism, of course, the gender-based violence, all of that happening within these 16 days. How does the Sharia define gender-based violence? Barakallahu fikum, and thank you so much for the question. Um, I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as it's found in the Quranic supplication, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala facilitates that we are able to be clear and lucid in terms of our conversation. Um, I know that uh, somewhat from certain circles, uh, the issue of gender-based violence is a very loaded and uh, a sort of like emotional and very charged type of term. Uh, we pray to Allah that He allows us and facilitates for us to provide some Islamic perspective on this particular issue. Um, the first thing for me is, uh, what is the meaning of the term violence? Uh, when I was forwarded this question in terms of prepping for it, the first question that came to my mind was, what is the meaning of the term violence? And uh, why that is so very important is because terminology is of uh, fundamental importance. And even more so when we're basically importing a term from like a Western paradigm into an Islamic paradigm. So terms are generally important, like what is the meaning of the term violence, generally. Then when we're importing a term like violence and we're now looking at it from an Islamic lens, it becomes even more important that we first define, you know, what the term violence uh, means in Allah SWT knows best. Um, to further give a sort of like a context to this approach of, of ours is that number one is violence is an English term. And in Islam, there's no such term as, as, as violence. Now, what I'm going to say now, I don't mean in any way, in you know, tongue-in-cheek uh, type of way, but in a very um, sort of like academic and very serious way. And that is that the term violence doesn't exist within an Islamic paradigm. Because our Islam, in terms of a... a, a Islam is a, a revealed divine religion. Allah SWT sent it down. And it basically comes in the form of Qur'an. Our Qur'an is Arabic in terms of its uh, word. And very importantly, it's also um, Arabic in terms of its meaning. So not in a tongue-in-cheek way. In a very real way. The word violence doesn't exist within an Islamic paradigm. 
because our Islamic paradigm is an Arabic paradigm. Um, so naturally the word violence, which is an English word, which has Latin origins, um, it's not to be found within Islam. So uh, that's, I think, a very important uh, phenomenon to understand. Uh, then secondly, um, if there's no word violence in Islam, like we don't find the word violence, literally that English word in in, in Quran, in the way of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wa sallam. So the next thing we're going to ask is, is there, is there an equivalent you know, to, to violence within Islam? And then what does Islam say about that particular equivalent? So in order to, to, to sort of, for me personally, to understand that, I had to go to the term violence first and, and look at the origin of the term violence. Now, we know the English language is drawn from many other different languages, but I would say, I speak any correction, primarily from uh, the Latin. So the word um, violence comes from the word uh, violentia. I hope I'm pronouncing this properly. Many times I get it wrong. But uh, sometimes to those of us who pronounce words wrong, um, uh, maybe in our defense it's because we haven't heard the word, but we simply just read about the word. So the word uh, violence comes from violentia, which basically uh, translates as, as, as follows. It is vehemence, or it is related to um, irreverence or profanity. Now, if we look at that particular Latin meaning, it's very interesting because profanity basically means disrespect or it means irreligious. So if I look at the word violence and uh, I look at the origins in terms of this particular word from the Latin, which comes from profanity, which means disrespect and irreverence, and now I take that particular meaning and I ask myself, what does Islam have to say about that? So not to lose sight of the context, we're talking about gender-based violence. So if you're looking at violence as, as, as physical force that is coupled with profanity, in other words, irreverence and disrespect. So I want to look at that, what does Islam say about disrespect, whether it is in the form of a verbal interaction, it's an interlocution, it is psychological, or it is physical, whatever the case may be. If we understand violence to be disrespect, then let's look at what Islam has to say about disrespect. So I think uh, disrespect, I think to known by its opposite. The opposite of disrespect is respect, which basically refers to honor. So what does Islam say about honor? I think Islam is very clear in that particular regard uh, about uh, disrespect in whatever form it may, it may take. I'm not answering the question. I'm creating a, a framework for the question to be answered. So what does Islam say about disrespect? Um, uh, we, we know about uh, on, the, on the farewell hajj, the Prophet ﷺ had certain very profound pronouncements to make. And it reminds me that in Quran we find that there were certain miracles that would occur. And one of the miracles, a perinatural phenomenon, would be like Isa ﷺ. He would, um, uh, whilst he was in the cradle, he would say certain things. Those few... Um, utterances, those verbal utterances, has a very great significance in terms of its content. Why? Because it's being said miraculously. And because it's said miraculously, only the most important things are going to be said. So that's at the beginning. Uh, when we look at the end, and Allah Shankala knows best, the Prophet is on his farewell hajj. Um, so he's going to have certain utterances. And those utterances are going to be as profound as those miraculous utterances um, uttered by Isa Alayhi Salaam. Uh, because of its importance and the context. So what did the Prophet ﷺ say on that particular occasion on the farewell hajj? He said that your person is sacred. In other words, no one can take the life of another. 
then the Prophet referred to the wealth that you know that we have that belongs to one another. He said that's also sacred. And then he said, and your honor. In other words, uh, one cannot take on the honor of, of another another person. And one of the objectives of the Sharia as such is basically to protect. In other words, all of the rulings are, are designed in such a way to achieve certain objectives. One of those objectives is the protection of honor. So if we were to if we were to look at violence as a, a Western phenomenon and then give a judgment from an Islamic paradigm and we translate the word violence to mean disrespect, and what does Islam say about disrespect or dishonoring? We're going to say that dishonoring is not, uh, it's not allowed in Islam. And it is something which um, uh, is routinely uh, sort of like rejected and, and frowned upon uh, from an Islamic perspective. And Allah SWT knows best. So that is the first part um, in terms of just introductory remarks that I would uh, like to make in as far as, as violence is concerned. The, the next issue would be that um, sometimes what happens is we conflate between uh, we conflate between between issues, and by conflation I mean you know the merging of two ideas into one. So when we talk about disrespect, which you've clearly seen now, Islam doesn't support disrespect. You cannot disrespect and dishonor another person in whatever form it might take. Um, conflation would be that when we take one term, which is violence, and we conflate, which is disrespect, and we conflate it to something else. And what is that something else that I'm referring to? That is the whole idea of um, a, a minimum necessary force. In other words, using a physical force to acquire a certain uh, objective. So violence, we know, uh, that is not permissible within Islam. But the next question would be, what about uh, minimum uh, required uh, force in order to uh, require a certain objective. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows, knows best. So that's the second part of uh, what I think it's important to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I think a minimum uh, sort of like a necessary force is that justified. So violence is not justified, translated as disrespect. But a minimum physical force. And for this, uh, you asked me the question about gender-based violence. So this can be approached from a number of, of angles. And I think just to establish some degree of equity, Again, not tongue-in-cheek, but in terms of gender-based violence, are we talking about violence perpetrated against women? Uh, I would imagine that would be the context. But I think it's also not, uh, it would be, uh, it, uh, you also find I had the opportunity to travel to uh, uh, South America, Chile in particular. And we also, at the time when I was there, much younger, uh, you also had gender-based violence, but not what normally comes to mind. What comes to our mind is basically, here's a husband, uh, you know, uh, disrespect, disrespect, disrespecting, and uh, using um, unjustified physical force in order to get his uh, way or whatever the case may be. In our context, we refer to it as that. But there are places in the world where the tables are turned completely, whereby they each end up by violence. But uh, the victim really is uh, the male, as opposed to being the as opposed to being the female, uh, which is quite interesting from a, from, from, yes. from another perspective altogether. But uh, for purposes of our conversation, I want to go to an extraneous example completely. We, you know, we are a Muslim minority and we're living in a non-Muslim uh, majority. We're basically in a secular state. So um, uh, we are basically the products of our environment. And many times we sort of, as Muslims, we require a paradigm shift in order in which to appreciate certain things. And sometimes our learning, our Islamic learning, doesn't actually equip us to have that shift in terms of paradigm. So unfortunately, sometimes we're caught in looking at things purely from a Western perspective. So currently, when it comes to using a minimum necessary force, what is, the, what is, the, what is our general appreciation as, 
uh, products of a Western secular environment that we that we find ourselves in. So here I want to go to an extreme example, and I want to talk about you know the disciplining of children. Before we go to that example, inshallah, we do have to break for ads. When we come back, we will continue. I'm sorry to interrupt them, and I will be back shortly, inshallah. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, 91.3 FM and 95.8 FM stereo. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to the MJC Hour. Our guest online today, Molina Muhammad Ka. And today we're speaking about gender-based violence and how, uh, or rather what the Sharia says about gender-based violence. And Molina was about to share an example with us. So welcome back, Molina. Jazakumullah khairan. We were in the process of discussing just like an extraneous example in terms of, you know, whereby we can understand um, minimum uh, necessary physical force that is sometimes used. And the extraneous example that I bring to light would be, you know, that in terms of disciplining uh, children. But I'm, I'm not collating between uh, 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 using a minimum necessary force in terms of a social relationship like marriage uh, that we leave for a later stage. What I'm talking in principle about is that in, the, in terms of disciplining children, is there, is there this idea of... Uh, at times that we can use a, a, a minimum necessary force in order to achieve a certain degree of discipline within the child. I think the one principal axiom when it comes to children and disciplining children, um, we know that children just don't bloom into adults. They need to be nurtured and they need to be disciplined in a particular in a particular way. Then we have certain, again, our point was from a Western paradigm where we grow up in and obviously we get influenced by uh, Western uh, philosophies and ideologies about life and so forth. So what is the current um, sort of idea uh, when a person wants to use some sort of uh, physical force in terms of uh, remedying a given situation? There's, there's, there's a number of things that we hear all of the time. Number one is they say there's, there's no excuse for, for physical uh, punishment. So when one actually really um, analyzes that and one is very critical about it, and here I quote from some of the modern psychologists when they actually uh, address this particular issue. Firstly, we would all agree as an axiom that there's certain types of behavior that can never be, uh, 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 they must be sub, uh, subject to sanction. In other words, we cannot condone it. Secondly, that when you're going to sanction some type of behavior, uh, when, you're going to talk, when you're going to take active steps in terms of remedying that, whether it is uh, you know, in a psychological way or any other way, uh, what happens is that you need to obviously take a measure in order to stop that type of uh, incorrect behavior. Now, even if it means that you're going to deprive the person of a particular liberty, so we think to ourselves that only um, a, a physical type of minimum force we required that's going to basically going to cause pain. Now, even if you deprive a person of a given liberty, then that also creates a certain type of, of, of pain even what we normally refer to as basically time out, social isolation, which is very interesting. We know uh, neurobiologically that the same area in the brain that responds to physical trauma, it's the same area in the brain that responds to psychological disciplinary measures that are being put into, being put into, being put into place. And Allah SWT knows best. Then, um, 
we have this other theory about, you know, hitting only teaches a person to hit. And here, very interesting, I find this very interesting, inshallah, and I'll basically wrap up this particular point on this particular note. Um, I found that one of the current psychologists, he says that hitting only teaches a child to hit. He says, no, that is wrong. And on a starting point, initially when we started this um, discussion, we spoke about the importance of term, of using term. So what happens is, if we say, if we use the term hitting, the psychologist says that hitting is a very unsophisticated word to describe the disciplinary act of an effective parent. Because if hitting accurately, accurately describes the entire range of physical force, then there would be no difference between raindrops and the atom bomb. So the word, the, just the, using the word hitting, and, and this now brings me basically to, to answer the question in terms of, initially the question is, does Islam support gender-based violence? Um, no, Islam doesn't support uh, gender-based violence. Violence translated as uh, disrespect. Islam doesn't support that. If we look at employing a minimum necessary force, does Islam uh, condone that? Um, my understanding of Quran in the way of the Prophet is that Islam does condone that. But again, one needs to understand the term a minimum necessary force we required. Like um, if, 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 for example, we have a child, he runs into the parking lot and the parking lot is caught in the hold of cars there. What must you do? You must do what is necessary to the minimum within reason to stop, to stop that child from, doing what, from getting further hurt, from getting bumped over, uh, bumped over by a car and, 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 and so forth. But the problem is that when we look now to the verse in the Holy Quran, that talks about uh, the word like even in the English language within the English paradigm um, effective disciplining measures in relation to a child uh, it is incorrect according to psychologists to refer to that as hitting because it doesn't describe it doesn't aptly describe that disciplinary measures which are being taken likewise when we look at the word in the Quran Normally when people talk about barb, the first thing that jumps to mind is, is, is hitting. But the word barb, I, looked, I took the opportunity and looked it up to the word in the dictionary. The word barb refers to the haraka. It refers to a particular movement. Um, it refers to, you know, your pulse that goes up and down. It refers to when the blood moves through your system. It refers to traveling in the earth. So the, 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 the meaning that I get from the word barb in terms of Quran, um, it is really a movement. And in this particular instance, in the Context, it refers to taking positive, physical, bare minimum necessary measures of discipline um, in an effective way that does not amount to disrespect. Um, if a person is saying, does Quran condone that, then myself, my understanding in terms of Quran, and I don't, we don't have an option in the, when it comes to the divine way in the Quran, does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talk about this? Is it an option? Yes, it must be understood in context. But does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala permit that? Yes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala permits that in that very limited context. And that brings us to the verse in the Holy Quran, which is a very, uh, or it appears to be a contentious verse, but very simply understood uh, from my perspective, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Allah doesn't tell you in the Holy Quran, uh, context about everything is so very, very important. Um, uh, if, a, if, if I give you an example of a context now, if a child is here by the electric socket and he has a, he has a, um, a fork in his hand and he's poking right into the middle uh, of that particular socket, that child can shock and go to death. You find a parent coming around and he has to discipline, he has to take a particular measure. It may even be very quickly, very neatly, 
uh, tapping the child and, and taking the, uh, the, foot, uh, the, the fork away, which involves some sort of a physical interaction. Are we going to, are we going, because of the context, and there was some physicality involved on the parent side, are we going to blame that parent for, are we going to accuse the parent of violence, or are we going to say that's a minimum necessary force that, that was used in that particular context? If you have a, a child sitting in front of a dog and the dog is unprovoked in any way, and then that dog uh, attacks the child, that we may refer to as, as, as violence, unnecessary force. But if the child is, is his own pit, and he takes the bone away, and then the child, the dog nips the child. Are we going to say that that force which the dog used is justified or not? So context is very, very important. And so now we come to uh, the, the context of this particular verse in the Holy Quran. Um, the other idea behind disciplining children is also that if you don't discipline the child uh, in, in a particular way, and I'm not likening again children to um, a social situation of husband and wife, but there are similarities in, in, in principle, and that is when you don't discipline a child, what happens is um, it is at the cost of something uh, greater uh, going, uh, going forward. Uh, and in a child, it's just so very, uh, very apparent. So what happens is, in this uh, situation, in terms of the, the verse of the Holy Quran, what happens here is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're given an option, really. The one option is that it can just quickly go to a, a divorce situation whereby there's a separation between husband and, and wife. We know from an anthropological point of view and a psychological point of view that the optimum existence for children is in a, in a, in a marriage where both parents are there. Not to say that single parents aren't doing a brilliant job. Many of them, despite the odds and circumstances, are doing a really brilliant job. But the optimum mode for the development of children is when a husband and wife are together. So therefore we attach a lot of importance uh, to, the, to, the, to, to the marriage and keeping husband and wife together. Um, for the benefit of themselves and the benefit of the children going forward. Not to say that uh, a divorce is not an option, it is an option. But when we're hitting a sort of like a row, uh, you know, we're having a challenge, what, what happens and with the, with the husband as the Amir in the house, and let's say hypothetically speaking that, you know, the, the, the wife is recalcitrant, the husband can also be recalcitrant, and Allah SWT refers to it in the Holy Quran, also in Surah Al-Nisa, if the wife fears from the husband, you know, disobedience, then there's a particular way that she can address that. But we're looking at the situation whereby from uh, the husband's perspective now, the given situation is that we have a recalcitrant wife. What happens now? Um, Sharia tells us don't go for that option of just divorcing. Because what happens is the consequence of that is, um, is, 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 is really catastrophic if we look at the husband and wife and the children in particular. So what do you do? Uh, advice, give some uh, admonishment. Um, uh, and that's the first step, that's the context. We want to get to the situation. Then as a second situation, if that's not working, and we on the hypothesis the husband is in, in, in the right, in this particular situation, what happens is uh, separation. And as we looked earlier on in terms of, you know, the, the parts of the brain that respond to um, uh, physical trauma, the very same parts of the brain respond to, like, uh, uh, isolation. So uh, it's interesting that this is particular, this is prescribed in the Holy Quran in terms of separation. And the idea behind that um, is not to go first to, even if it's a minimum necessary physical force, not to go to there, but rather to go, you must follow the procedure in terms of Quran. And that is first by advising and then by separation. And if none of that works, now we're in a situation whereby we're faced with two things. And both are not the most favorable things for us to get involved, but we actually reach this point. And now we have to choose between two things. It's either going to be an advorce, 
a divorce or administering a minimum uh, necessary type of uh, discipline and in the Quran allows you that. Inshallah, Molina, shukran so much for that advice then explaining to us, um, you know, how the brain works and, and all of that information. Inshallah, I'm sure that our listeners are really appreciating that and really I hope that everyone does understand, Inshallah. But remember that our listeners, they can message us on our WhatsApp line and on the SMS line if there are any questions pertaining to today's topic. But for now, we have to break for ads and when we come back, we'll continue again, Inshallah. From Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to the last segment of the MJC Hour today. We're speaking about gender-based violence. Our guest in, uh, not in studio, but online is Molina Muhammad Ka. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back, Molina. Now, Malana, we've got about five minutes left just before we conclude with today's topic. There are some causes uh, that are actual causes, and it's been proven um, that that these are the causes for gender-based violence. Please, can you take the next few minutes to get us through that, inshallah? Malana, are you there? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not particularly uh, following the question. Okay, so now there's, sometimes there's causes such as substance abuse, sometimes people have anger issues. Um, all of those could be causes of, of gender-based violence. Not an excuse, though, but it, it could be a cause. Um, please share some of the common reasons um, and, and what, Sharia, what our Sharia says about that. Mm. Uh, so basically, in terms of uh, gender-based violence, uh, looking at violence as disrespect and employing unnecessary, uh, you know, physical force, um, that is not condoned uh, by the Sharia in any way. Um, uh, and Allah SWT knows best. Uh, that is very clear to me. And the interesting thing part for me is about uh, the question that you mentioned now in terms of the of the causes. Um, in Quran, in Surah Al-Hajj, we've come across, you know, this whole, whole phenomenon of causality. And Quran uniquely talks about it as explained by Ibn Ashur. Um, you know, a person accepts Islam at the time now in context. A person accepts Islam. And then after he accepts Islam, he, 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 he basically, uh, his, 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 his financial situation uh, increases. And then what happens is he attributes that to Islam. Now, that may be a positive thing. And you say, yeah, you became a Muslim and now that's why you're doing financially well. On the other side, what happens is you find a person, he accepts Islam. And then as a result, his financial situation goes down, down, down. So what does he do? He blames now Islam. When I wasn't a Muslim, I was doing financially well. Now because I became a Muslim, now I'm not doing financially well. In both instances, uh, when Quran talks about the Quran, it is wrong. You know, your financial well-being, uh, the causes for that would be if you have a business and you're managing your business effectively and well, uh, you know, you put two and two together, one and one equals two, you're going to make a profit. However, if you don't manage your business very well, and then it's not going to realize a profit. So the laws of causality is important. You Islam, actually, technically speaking, has got nothing to do with your financial well-being. Your financial well-being is related to your ability to, you know, uh, conduct a good business um, and, and not conduct a, a good business. Uh, you know, in today's time, uh, what we look at 
conveniently sometimes and we're not wanting to uh, uh, come across as not having empathy and not uh, empathizing uh, with the condition that most of our people find, but rather the contrary, the outdoors are always such people. But sometimes very conveniently we do certain things nowadays and COVID conveniently gets the blame. So somebody does something incorrect, you know the reason for, his, for that incorrectness is because of maybe conduct or something else, but conveniently COVID gets blamed. So the laws of causality is very important for us to understand. And uh, once we have that particular uh, understanding, you know, somebody becomes religious now, and then uh, all of a sudden he starts getting around, and then they say, you see, you're becoming religious, now you're getting around, and now you're getting a tummy. No, uh, the reason why he's getting a tummy is because he's eating incorrectly, and he's no longer going to the gym and so forth. It's got nothing to do with the fact that now he's making five times daily soda, and maybe he's becoming a maulana. Uh, that's got nothing to do with you getting around tummy. So the laws of causality is very important for us to understand what is the cause and what does it lead to. And this is very important when it comes to gender-based violence. Uh, gender-based violence, in my estimation, and Allah SWT knows best, uh, what causes gender-based violence? Who are the major, uh, who are the major culprits? And what happens is, uh, when things like this get happen, is then, uh, um, I'm not myself per se, but the clergy gets put onto a spot in terms of uh, gender-based violence is happening out there. Uh, you guys must answer for it. I think the first thing for us to do responsibly is let's look to the proper causes of gender-based violence. And uh, for me, what stands out, and uh, this again, I think we need to look at stats very importantly. And let the science determine who are, who are responsible. Uh, let the science determine who was responsible for it. Um, what I mean by science is the stats out there. In a South African context, we know um, uh, substance abuse like wine and so forth. It's directly related to gender-based violence. And that is why I find the, the promulgation of bylaws in, in, in that particular regard. And another sort of like, sort of very insidious, uh, type of uh, cause uh, and this type of cause it almost never comes under the spotlight in a very serious way and when we do, we do discuss it we discuss it very often and that is the modern day um, television um, in terms of you know the types of, uh, of programming and so forth it's interesting for me to look at what role would that play, play in, 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 in either uh, stealing gender-based violence or supporting uh, the gender-based violence in Allah Sontananos best Thank you so much uh, for that uh, answer there. Well, there are still many questions pertaining to gender-based violence and, of course, how Sharia ties in and what Sharia says about this. But what are some of the solutions just before we go, Malana? La ilaha illallah. Um, I think that uh, it's for us to understand, I think, very uh, largely in terms of why, are we, uh, why, why do we belong to different genders? Uh, why do we have different uh, competencies? Why are we different? Um, uh, and I think that's a, a very important part to understand first, to understand ourselves, and then to appreciate those around us. And also, uh, uh, one day, well, very young, and I was standing at seven, and a friend of mine asked me like a really funny question, you know, and it troubled me for many, many years. He asked me why so and so physically unattractive, and it was a, so why is so and so physically unattractive? Um, and many years later, when I read this particular verse. And this verse is a very broad and encompassing verse. And we have made some of you a test for the others. So, you know, there are definitely challenges when we deal with one another, husband and wife, across the gender, or any any type of uh, social interaction. Even sometimes it's just not across the gender board. It's just one male to another male, or one female to another female, or male to female, whatever the case may be. From an Islamic paradigm, I think it's important for us to understand that this diversity with which Allah SWT has created, this great beauty in that, that's 100% uh, correct. And the fact that we are 
different really um, uh, is a very important point because anasu mama ikhtalafu as long as people are different they they would find congruence with one another if we were all the same then we wouldn't be the puzzle uh, existence would be a very uh, different existence but we are all like pieces of a puzzle that fit uniquely together but to create that fit we need to understand that to a certain degree we are a test to one another. We need to learn to appreciate one another, which means that the strong points and the weak points and learn to exist harmoniously and understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed us as a test to one another, reach to the poor, the male to the female. And I think that particular um, appreciation uh, in, in looking at gender dynamics from a broad perspective will help us a lot in terms of uh, bettering ourselves and bettering uh, you know, the relationships across the gender divide. Definitely. Shukran so much for joining us today, Marina, and for covering this topic here on The Voice of the Cape. We'd like to say shukran to Marina, and until we speak again, we say assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. That was the voice of Mawla Muhammad Kaur today speaking to us about gender-based violence and some guidance on what the Sharia says about gender-based violence and also some of the solutions that were shared there as well. And of course, it is now time for us to break for the Waqt of Dhuwar. Just before we do that, we'd like to say shukran so much for tuning in to today's show of the MJC Hour. I'm Udad Peterson and on technical Mr. Omar Maris. Until we speak again, we say assalamu alaikum. ورحمة الله وبركاته